And this is episode one of a brand new series all about Robert De Niro. Whoop whoop. And we, this is like a very special recording too, because it is Saturday, October 5th, and this is going to be out on Monday. Yeah. So we uh, actually recorded some episodes of this series, you should know. Um, already, but we wanted to get a chance to see the hottest ticket in town, Joker, and talk about it because, as you probably know, Robert De Niro has a part in that movie. And the movie is inspired by Taxi Driver and yeah, King, of, King Comedy of Comedy and is also produced by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Is it? I thought he dropped out. Did he drop out? That was my understanding, but then I'm not sure. Um... Yeah, for some reason, I thought that he had producing credit. Well, we're the experts in what we say goes. So and we say that he dropped out. Yeah. Did he? No, I'm looking it up right now. Okay. I'm going to edit all this out. Okay, great. Uh, Martin Scorsese was initially attached to the project as a producer. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then, uh, and then he dropped out. And then, well. I'd or something happened. Something happened. I would love to know what. I mean, maybe he... Didn't like it. Watched or read something maybe like the he, movie. Maybe he was like, this isn't cinema. <laughs> maybe As he famously <laughs> said of Marvel movies this weekend and got Marvel fans acting like the incels when normally that's the Joker guys. Look, it, it's like half dozen of one, six of the there, other. Yeah. <laughs> six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah, we got it. Oh, man. All right. So, okay. So anyway, before you listen to this, I this needs to be said. There are going to be spoilers of the Joker. On yeah. This, or Joker. The yes. new Joker movie. The new 2019 Joker film by Todd Phillips. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a no holds bar. So if you don't want to know what happens in that movie, if you want to be surprised, don't listen to this. Don't come for us because we spoiled the movie. For you. Yeah. Or if right we now. have opinions that don't match up with yours, um, then sorry. I'm we're also going to be talking about Taxi Driver today, and we're also going to be talking about The King, King of Comedy. Of comedy. Uh, so all three of those movies shall be discussed. So this Let's, is your final warning. Yeah. So if you don't also if you don't want to hear what happens in Taxi Driver, I mean, come on, that movie's 40 years old. Yeah. And so you, is the other one. Yeah. Get on board. Come on, you guys. All right. Okay, so which should we discuss first? Should we start earlier and work back? Or should we start at the end and work up? Well, okay, Aggie and I just went to go see just Joker. Out. We just walked out of the theater and into your home. And we're here to share our opinions. Yeah. And we ate. We actually did eat. First we went to Shake Shack. We went to Shake Shack and we... Um, Drove home together, and I don't know about you, but I felt a thick silence in the car where yeah. we were both like so dying to talk about it, but we wanted to share our thoughts for yeah. the listening we public. We wanted to wait. Okay, so 
initial reactions. Okay, so also in in fairness, this is my second time seeing it. Yeah, this was something that was not revealed to I'm me. I'm queen until of darkness. You are queen of darkness. Um, okay, and I think that I have an opinion that will shock and rivet everybody. Please, what is it? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like it the first time? The first time I loved it. And then the second time? I liked it. You liked it. Yeah. Um, just straight up like, okay, did I like it? I was, there were parts of the movie where I could not stop laughing. Yes. When I first saw the movie with Brian, we walked out and I said, oh my God, I love that movie. And he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He was like, this, that's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I, <laughs> I don't think it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, but I do think that when it comes to superhero movies in general, there's such a low bar for them yeah. that any like effort is really, and I'm not saying this is the case with you, but I was watching it and I'm like, what is, what is all the fuss about? with this well that was something that i noted before i even went and saw the movie because i was sick of hearing about it um before it even came out i was like i don't want to hear about this fucking movie ever again i don't care why is everybody talking about this at the point that they started to like issue like security warnings, like people are going to be shooting at this movie and people are going to be going crazy. I was like, fuck them. But I was, yeah, that's absurd. I was intrigued because I like Batman <laughs> and I like, uh, the Joker and I like the bad guys from Batman movies. <laughs> yes. And I think there's like a couple different ways to watch it or to like think about like if you're look, if I feel like if you're watching this as a Batman movie, which is what it is, like yeah. it's an extension of like the mythology of these comic book characters, then it's like, oh, this is good. Like it's yeah, I mean, totally fine. I didn't see what all the fuss was about one way or the other. Like I didn't think it was a great movie. I didn't think it was a terrible movie. I didn't think like it was going to drive people insane. I, I was watching it and I thought, I also had a similar thought a bit about Midsommar, which is like some of this movie and some of that movie looked like um, like fashion photography to me. Or it's like it's staged and the imagery is put together to look cool. Yeah. And uh, I, I had a feeling of like I would like to be flipping through a book and see some of these images like as a cohesive thing. It didn't. It didn't feel like that to me. It mm -hmm. felt kind of empty it, and it felt like a lot of posturing and it felt like it was so it's so referential for so many things. It didn't feel like it became more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, that's how I felt in the first opening frames. I felt like immediately depressed when I first saw it because I was like, this is nostalgia porn. These movies are cool, like gritty 70s crime dramas and so we're gonna make something that looks like a gritty 70s crime drama yeah and I think that that's like it feels watching this movie it feels like that's as far as the thought process goes of like oh these are cool gritty 70s movies 
I feel like in the world of people who are into comic book movies, the Batman and Superman and like all the DC movies are so heavy and stupid and like take themselves so seriously that it's kind of hard not to laugh when you're watching them. Yeah, I, I don't know that much about like uh, I've, I'm not an expert on DC or Marvel but that uh, the nostalgia thing, the thing of like these movies are cool, like we want something that looks like this. It's it feels when I watched those movies earlier this week when like I was so blown away by how deep and nuanced they are and how much they really try to tap into something like empathetic and what's so great about them is uh that they're they're like pictures of human beings and i felt like this was a movie there's like no human beings in this movie it's just like remember these cool things yeah well i so the thing about it being set in the 70s is um darren aronofsky was had in the 90s like had a script for Batman that was set in the seventies and it was going to be like this, like a gritty crime drama, like based on like in the style of like taxi driver. And I've always kind of thought that that was like the ideal world for Batman to be set run down, like super crime ridden, like gritty city that like Gotham is supposed to be. Yeah. That's like what Times I always wear in the seventies. Yes. I also loved that Christopher Nolan put it in Chicago. Yeah. Because but, yeah, it just feels, I don't know. It, like when, Chicago felt like Gotham to me sometimes. Yeah. And also like it was just slightly different from what you're used to seeing. And so it felt kind of otherworldly. Yeah. Cause you're like, it's not, you know, it's not obviously New York. Just they call it something else. It's a different city. Um, so yeah. And I actually did like, I think because I'm an edgelord who does live in the shadow of sod, <laughs> I did relate to Joker. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Like, I get what he's talking about when he's like, nobody sees me. I feel like I feel like I'm invisible. I felt like that so many times. I get it. You're a Joker. I'm an incel. You're not an incel, Aggie. I'm not. I fuck. But <laughs> I could be. You could be. <laughs> we all could be. That's the That's where the empathy comes from. Well, ideally... Um, okay. So this is a series. This is the first episode of our series on Robert De Niro. And we, uh, we get into a little bit more about Robert De Niro, why we chose this topic next week when we talk about Goodfellas yeah, and analyze this. Cause our first one, our last, we recorded like what we thought was going to be the first episode of the series. So when you hear the first one, it's going to sound kind of weird because I think we're going to introduce We're going to introduce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll have to wait till next week to hear all that sweet introduction, like why we're so excited about talking about Robert De Niro. But yeah. you just have to trust us that we are. But like we love Robert De Niro. We do. Conclusion, we love Robert De Niro. And he plays a role in The Joker. Yeah. He is a talk show host and uh, he's like a Johnny Carson type. Like Yeah, a, he's got like the exact like set. John yes set, and it's also a nod to um the king of comedy yeah. uh which is uh from 1982 yeah. and it is another martin scorsese movie and it's about a young comedian who um 
uh, idolizes a talk show host who's played by Jerry Lewis. And uh, he and his friend Sandra Bernhard stalk Jerry Lewis, end up kidnapping him, holding him hostage so that he can get on the talk show. Yeah, because he wants to be a stand-up comedian. And his friend uh, is also strangely obsessed with the talk show host for reasons that are not really clear. And like if she even truly exists or is like a figment of his imagination, I think isn't totally clear. Oh, she exists. Oh, you think? Oh, for sure. I feel like, uh, that's something that I was thinking about a lot with the Joker was how, um, deftly the, uh, fantasy and reality sequences, uh, are portrayed in the King of comedy. Yeah. And, uh, I thought in Joker, they were, it was so mishandled. I felt like I didn't know the, I didn't know what was like real or what wasn't in the Joker. Like when he gets the gun from the guy, like I didn't know if the guy really gave him the gun or if he stole it or I didn't, I felt like I didn't know what what was real. Yeah. Uh, there's like a review. They, instead of, I thought instead of like having a construction within the movie that makes it clear like the way that it's spelled out in king of comedy where there's a scene that takes place uh towards the beginning of the movie where uh robert de niro ends up helping jerry lewis and jerry lewis kind of like gives him a brush off and he's like yeah call my office like yeah and de niro's like let's do lunch let me give you my tapes and jerry lewis is like yeah yeah call my office whatever so the next scene is uh de niro and uh jerry lewis sitting at dinner together and like they're both like de niro is like being really charming and jerry lewis is like appealing to him and it's this back and forth and then there's a really harsh cut to de niro speaking alone in his mother's basement and it's like uh, it just is such a great uh way to establish like there's fantasy sequences and then there's like his basement is all like done up to look like the studio yeah to look like the set and there's so many great scenes of him interacting with like the cardboard cutouts or just talking to himself and uh they try to recreate that in the joker but i thought that joaquin phoenix seemed so uncomfortable in some of those scenes did you think joaquin phoenix was good in this i thought that he had his moments and i think he's a really good actor but i think um i thought that he was too old for this part and interesting i thought why do you think too old i think that if unless you are allowing 45 year old women to play 30 year old characters like this is Wait, not is he supposed to be 30 i think he's supposed to be because thir- like how old is that little boy the bruce wayne in the movie and bruce wayne's father because joaquin phoenix is not like a young guy he didn't look young i thought he, he looks looked like, like middle-aged in i thought this he movie. looked like he was like in his like late 30s early 40s i would say early 40s to 45 yeah to and me he looked he was, like 45 and you think he was supposed to be playing a 30 year old yeah because de niro in king of comedy is 34 yes and he looks 34 he looks, he looks older because in the like in the 80s like 34 year old look middle-aged they did look middle-aged he's got that mustache yes and he's like a little bit heavy yeah uh, but i i don't know he's i so good in that movie. he's so fucking good in that movie but i completely bought I bought it all this. um, Yeah. I don't know. I thought that he was not to be ageist. I I like that. He was older. 
Because I thought it made him seem more desperate and washed up. It made it seem like his life was like a bigger failure. Because like if you're in that position, like Travis Bickle also was like, I think he's like 24. He's 26. 26. And um, I remember, so I'm 34, the same age as the King of Comedy. And when Travis is like, I'm 26, I'm like, oh my God, he's, he has all this, all these years ahead of him to make his life whatever he wants. Yeah, he's such a boy. But for me, Joaquin, in this movie, I'm like, you're fucked. Yeah, like, you have nowhere to go because you are, you have, like, exhausted your options at this point. Yeah, I, I can see that. I guess just, like, the way that he was acting and the... Uh, well, he acts, like, younger than someone in their 20s or 30s. What He's, like... Hello, sir. Like he's like yeah, very, he's, he's like, like a I'm a baby. good boy. Yeah, yeah, he's like totally insane. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm a good little boy, and he's got that little boyish haircut, and he's like trying to be all coy, and, and it's in like this is not working for up me. To, where he goes up to Robert De Niro, and he's like, my mother always says I'm supposed to bring laughter to everybody. I liked it. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I I don't know. I was like, uh, I mean, everybody- it just fell off. It felt like they agreed to do the movie like eight years ago and he signed on and then it's like we nobody wants to tell him that he is he's aged out of this again i guess i'm being ageist and i guess i'm fucked up but see, i just thought it was like disturbing that he acted that way and he was like so old like i didn't think that it was i was like i thought it was like funny and fucked up and like exactly what i was supposed to think i was like oh yeah Joaquin, like <laughs> oh yeah like your mommy tells you that you're a good little boy well why don't you fucking kill her and then <laughs> But I mean, I guess he basically played that part in the master. Yeah, it was like very similar, very similar in the master. And also, um, you were never really here. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, that's very taxi driver, too. I'm like, why is I'm still here? Uh, well, there's I'm still here, and then there was you were never really here. I haven't seen any of it. Those are the ones that he made with um, Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck did the one of I'm not. It's called I'm not there. That's the documentary, and it is uh but it's like not a, real. It's like a mockumentary. Yeah, it's a mockumentary where he's like trying to be a rapper, and you were never really here is um, a film by. Okay, so uh, there's I'm Not There, which is a documentary that Casey Affleck directed where all those sexual harassment charges came from. Yeah. Where he was, like, fucked up and getting in bed with, like, the production manager or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, there was a 2017 movie directed by Lynn Ramsey called You Were Never Really Here, which stars um, Joaquin Phoenix as a, like, hitman who protects a little girl. Okay. There's a sequence towards the end that is very reminiscent of Taxi Driver. And then I'm like, Joaquin, like, why are you chasing after Robert De Niro's career so hard? That's something else I was thinking while I was watching this movie. I think he stands for De Niro. I love Joaquin. I do, too. I also think that Joaquin is a true Justine in this world. And I think that he's been abused by our culture as much as, like, Britney Spears. I think he's been treated like shit by society. How do you mean? Um, I'm not familiar with how. You know, his brother died yes. at the Viper, Viper Room. room. Yes. And his 911 call to the paramedics has been played like over and over again on like countless celebrity shows. And there is actually. Oh my God, a, I've never heard that. There's a tour that you can go on <gasps> called the Death Hollywood Death Tour. 
and they'll park it outside and play his 911 call while his brother's dying in the street. That is tourists. Horrific. Yeah. I had no idea about and that. I feel wow, like that is enough to turn you into the Joker, isn't it? I'm like, well, I think it's enough to take this role. I, it also reminded me of her when he's like, oh, yeah, when it turns out he's like on a date by himself. <laughs> when like when he's like laughing, I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. But it was Scarlett Johansson in your head <laughs> or whatever in the cloud in the <laughs> cloud. Um, I guess maybe if I hadn't watched those movies like within the last week before I saw this, I would be more forgiving to it or take it for what it is. But I feel like there's been so much conversation about this movie being so powerful. Like it could drive people mad. It's a masterpiece. It's garbage. And I felt like it was just sort of like, right. It just like, it didn't, there were no like high highs or low lows for me with this. There were some things that I thought were very ridiculous and, uh, there were a couple things that I thought were just flat out bad. Yeah. I mean, m- in my circle, the consensus is that it's bad. Like everybody that I know absolutely hates it and like is like laughing at it. How bad, how like laughably bad it is. Yeah. And I just don't see it. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's good. <laughs> the scene that I loved is the scene where he like kills the guy in his apartment. Oh, yeah. After reading um, Desaad and... Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm familiar. You know. I know. The, the master, our king. Our personal sweet Jesus. <laughs> In our like dark church. <laughs> um, but so there's this scene where Joaquin Phoenix kills this guy and he like kills him in a really violent way. Also the violence in this movie I like I thought was really restrained because it there are only a few violent bursts in it. And other than that, it's not it's not a bloodbath by any means. It's pretty like tame in terms of. It's, yeah, I would say that it's uh, impactful but and does it, it's not. Um, yeah, they don't like it's not gratuitous. And it's like when they show it, it's horrific. Yeah. And I also like that. I thought there was like a, I thought the movie was like condemning acts of violence. I didn't think it was glorifying. No. Yeah. They were all co-workers at this like clown job that they had. It was like a rent a clown thing where right. they would do different jobs. So Which the is kind of like the Travis Bickle version of like going to the taxi, the taxi stands. place. Yeah. Um, he's got his clown friends, but he kind of, but it's, they're like in the locker room. They're getting suited up or to go down. Be clowns and places. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, we got a job at a kid's birthday party. And they send out a clown. Yeah. Which like is the kind of thing that probably did exist before the internet. You'd call a number in the yellow pages and say, I need a clown. And they'd have like clowns that work there. I'm yeah, sure. They're like what size clown do you want? And they'd say, we need a big fat clown. We need oh, we have a big fat clown. Perfect. Well, we had one, but then he got stabbed to death by the Joker, bitch. <laughs> Welcome to Gotham City. <laughs> uh, um, so so in his apartment, there's two people. There's yeah. the guy that he beats to death, the big fat clown. And then there is a little person. And so before when he lets them in, he clo- he puts the chain on his door. Yes. And he has this he violently kills the big clown. It's shocking. I mean, I couldn't even look at it. It was, it was gross. so bloody and gross. The woman two seat away, like she was like two seats away. I saw her jump in the air. Her bare feet went flying. She had bare feet. Yes. People get very relaxed. Well, they did have reclining seats. They did have reclining seats. The man next to me was fully watching Instagram stories during Why the movie. Why would you? These movie tickets are They're not so cheap. Expensive. People are so fucking stupid. It's like, it's seriously. so compulsive. Like, I really, because he did it a few times and then 
there was a point. I noticed you. Did you find notice to turn it off? I was like, I just said, excuse me, sir. (laughs) I was like, that's really distracting. And he was like, what? And I said, and he was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And it was truly like he didn't even realize he was doing it. I think he didn't realize he was doing it. I was at a concert on Wednesday and the guys behind me were having a full throated conversation. Loud conversation. Who'd you go see? I saw Vampire Weekend at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. I love Vampire Weekend. I, I love do Joker. Too. Maybe I'm just the queen of bad taste, <laughs> but I love Vampire no, Weekend. I love Vampire Weekend too. Um, I feel like that's something we can all agree on. I'd put that on if my parents were in the car. Oh, hell yeah. And they'd be like, we love Paul Simon. This is great. And be like, guess what? It's not. <laughs> um, and this woman turned around and just was like, Sorry, I'm really tired of hearing your conversation. And I wanted to give her a $100 bill. I thought it was so brave and cool. And they were like, oh, sorry, ma'am. Did did they shut up? Yeah, but then like a couple minutes later, they started like kind of laughing because like they had been scolded by a woman. But um, And they were with a woman. Can I just quickly make a side note? They were with one woman. And this was the conversation I overheard. The guy was like, do you not drink? And she's like, no, I don't. And he was like, oh, well, uh, when did you quit? And she was like, oh, I never really started. He's like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, I mean, I just, I saw that stuff start in high school. And I saw how it made girls act. And it made them act like whores. So I decided not for me. And then the straight edge movement came around and I joined it. <laughs> I was like, fuck you, bitch. I'm the Joker. <laughs> I never felt more like the Joker. Wow. And then she was like braying, laughing at everything they said. And I was like, you're Ew. acting like a fucking whore anyway. And you're oh not my even God, drunk. Well, she wasn't even drunk and she was acting like an idiot. Well, I don't mean, laugh at things men say. No, to make them feel better. That's what turns them into the Joker. That's because they expect it. And then when they don't get it, they, they go full incel. You know what? That fucking scene in with those um, those like Wall Street guys where they are harassing the woman. And she's just sitting there. She's just sitting there. And she looks over at Joaquin Phoenix to be like, uh, help here. Mm-hmm. And then he just starts laughing uncontrollably. And then they focus on him and then they beat him up and then he kills them yeah that it's like when she left the train car and it was just them together it's like let them all just let them all die yeah it's like it was like she just got out of there just get her out the the she was a real hero i have to say the female roles in this movie were atrocious and it is sick to me that the movies that we watched the uh king of comedy and um, taxi driver both have such better roles for women. Way better roles for women. That's true. They should all be fucking ashamed of themselves. I'm That's so true. sick of it. The whole like Sassy Beats care. You have somebody like that and you don't use her at all. Nothing. Not at all. That it's is like it could have been it could have been cast from like Craigslist. It could have been anybody. It yeah. could have been anybody. Yeah. It's like just disgusting. Yeah. And then. I, I, yeah, I don't know what they were. I don't know. It's I thought that that was gross. I mean, he's completely alone in the world. And so the only interaction that he has with anybody is totally in his head. But I still feel like that could have gone s- harder. Well, and I feel like Taxi Driver does such a great job of having 
because like anytime you have another character, it's an opportunity to see this person from an yeah. outsider's point of view. And uh, Taxi Driver is so great be- for so many, many reasons. But his relationship with Sybil Shepherd, like he comes into where she works. He's like really aggressive. He's like kind of sexy. She's like, oh, I'm this is weird. I want to see where this goes. And then that scene in the coffee shop, he's being so weird. And you see it from her side and you see how like like her thought process like this guy is weird. I don't know anybody like this. Maybe this is going somewhere good. Let me see yeah. where it goes. Like I feel like maybe the opportunity for her to just act because like those scenes went a little bit longer. You just like get a little bit more nuance and performance. But and there is no, personality. She's not really there is the problem. Like she, you can't see her. Sassy beats. Yeah, yeah. You can't see him from her point of view because it's all taking place in his head. Yeah. And I just, I, I feel like uh, the, the narration in taxi driver goes such a long way with putting you inside of his head and Ha- like having uh, an understanding of why he's acting the way he acts. Like we don't have any insight into the Joker's like, like how he's really thinking and feeling. All you know is that like, because the card says that he responds differently from how he feels. But I thought the movie didn't do a good job of showing his fantasies and like really exploring that world and you don't get any like you don't linger on the diary I feel like it's all like it's all so cheap like you you're looking at the diary and it's like oh look at all the misspellings but you're not really getting any insight into like how he feels like you know the Travis Bickle is a vet he's got PTSD he's like Sybil Shepherd is like some kind of vision of purity that he can like put his fixation on and then it turns out that she's not what he expected and he's disappointed. Well, she's like part of the establishment and he's part of the outside and like he's in this like social structure that he didn't want, he never wanted to be a part of and he had no place of ever even trying to talk to her. Yeah. Um, and she made a mistake by even thinking that he might be someone who could, you know, be in a relationship with her cause they're from completely different worlds. And he, but he does do something inappropriate with her, like oh, taking her to totally. the corner. Like he, he is unstable. Like he's oh my not God. A, totally. Like you know what I mean. Um, you I, wouldn't want to be on a date with. That's the kind of guy that like you talk to, you have like some weird conversation with. But if you, you he's go, the type of person who like talks to you on a bus or something. Like yeah. he's someone who like. You're like, oh, God, this weird guy talked to me. Yeah. And like, you'll talk to him because like, maybe he's kind of cute. But then like, when you get a better look at him, you're like, there's something weird about him. And then like two sentences in, you're like, oh, no. And you're like, I got to get off this bus. Help. But like the Joaquin Phoenix is like, not even that. Like Joaquin Phoenix is like insane. Like at the end, like my favorite thing, not my favorite thing, but like one thing I love about King of Comedy is at the end when they show when he finally gets to do his stand up routine. Yes. And it's fine. It's not like insanely bad. It's not brilliant. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Right. Which is like what it would be like. That's what these artists are like. Like like, that's what these people are like who like have these like delusions of grandeur and they work really hard at this stuff. Usually they're passable. They're never going to be famous. They're not horrific. 
the when the Joker does stand up, it's like batshit lunacy. Yeah, he gets he, like doxed for it by Robert De Niro. <laughs> 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 yeah, he like can't put a coherent like he word even together. St- he's got like Tourette's, but then it turns out the Tourette's is like really who he is anyway because he's like the embodiment of evil. Yes, mm. which I'm like. That's fine. He's the Joker. He's the Joker. <laughs> He's the Joker. He's not like. See, I I don't know. He's not a real person. No, he's not a real person. Um, but uh, okay, so it builds up to him being a guest on Robert De Niro's show. Yeah, uh, because he was. He did this um, really awful stand-up set. Somebody recorded it. Yeah, you were in the bathroom. I um, did. I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Yeah, but uh, somebody like recorded it or something, and he gets a hold of it while he's visiting his mother in the hospital. He looks on TV, and he's like, oh, no. They're like, watch this, idiot. And they like play his stand-up set. And the only time that we've seen the stand-up set before is like completely from his point of view. And in his imagination, it went like great. Like it started bad, but he got him back. <laughs> yes. At that, at that point, like music tunes everything out. And it's just like him laughing on stage and having a great time. Right. It turns out he continued to do really bad. And then Robert De Niro makes fun of him. And Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That's like the point of no return where he's like, even my like my final like parental figure, like my father has abandoned me. His two father figures are. Yes. Robert he's a man without a father. Anna or a mother. Yeah. And he kills all of them. Right. It's very Greek. It's like Oedipal, but extra because he doesn't <laughs> even fuck his mom. He just kills her too. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to talk about sexuality as well. But um, the uh, in this scene where he is on stage with Robert De Niro at the end and he's like getting his due, he gives this really impassioned speech about how invisible he's always been. Yeah. And he and De Niro are kind of going like it's this like little tete-a-tete. It becomes a little Charlie Rose. Yeah. Where it's like, um, you know, why do you think you have a right to say these things? Whatever. And he's like, this is how I feel inside. And it felt like such a uh conversation it felt in the director's head y- yes it with f- twitter yes yeah. exactly that's what i thought that's what i thought too and On it, the second viewing the first time i didn't get that but i also like was not as aware of the conversation around the movie well uh todd phillips came out and uh said that he wanted to do the joker because of woke culture and which i didn't know like i didn't know that when i first saw it and this and is like a that, commentary. It, it really does because then it's like, wait a second, what side are you on? Which is another thing with this. It's like he he keeps saying I'm not political, I'm not political, and then he's like, I'm disenfranchised. I no one has ever listened to me. I'm an invisible person. But it's like, what about you makes you invisible? Like, what is your worldview? What are your experiences? Well, How have, have you ever you- felt like that? Well, like yeah, invisible. of course. But this is not my life story. This is a movie about a, a character. But so did it, you didn't relate to that. I, I mean, sure. in like the most basic way. But I feel like there, you need to have like a little bit more when it's related a, to it. a movie. I feel like I've gone days of my life where I'm like, I feel like I've gotten to a point where I've been like. Am I insane? Like, am I even real? Because I feel so like neglected by the world. I've definitely felt that way. 
maybe that's not an experience that everybody has. No, I'm not saying that that's not an experience that I've had or something that I relate to. I feel like I felt that more watching Taxi Driver or King of Comedy. Like I felt like that idea was better expressed and I, I felt it. This felt so petulant to me and it felt like a privileged man but he's not privileged todd phillips joker yeah but it's like i felt like these are the creators of the movies speaking through their characters to the audience about the world changing and how they've been disenfranchised by the wokeness of the world but the white men who do terrorist acts like the one that happens at the end of the movie are have more in common with what joker is saying than todd phillips Yes, which is why I think it's weird to have the the Joker be his mouthpiece. But don't. But I feel like I, I feel like he's like a an. I feel like the reason they talk about that movie is that he's like an embodiment of like these white male terrorists that are like rampant in America right now. And I feel like that's their point of view. What Joker says in the movie. Yeah, I. I think that, yes, I think I so. I also think that Todd Phillips, like, okay, I think it's stupid that Todd Phillips was like, oh, I can't do comedy anymore because the comedy is too woke. And then especially when they're like, oh, when he like comes out and there's that like Dr. Ruth character and he like kisses her. One thing I really do like about that movie is he like grabs her and kisses her and it's like really weird, but it's the kind of like 70s thing that would have happened. And instead of laughing it off, she seems like traumatized by it immediately, like incredibly uncomfortable for the rest of that scene. Yeah, but which then, is weird that you would have like a sex doctor not have any language for that experience in that situation. I, I don't think so. Because I just felt like it was so lazy. And especially for the women, like that's the thing about those other movies that we watched. Like the there are consequences to all those actions. And even if... Like, like the women have some sort of say. Well, the women have like power over him. And also like, well, so the, uh, they're, they're different. So in King of Comedy, Sandra Bernhardt is like a fully, like a full force of a character. Like she's an incredible character. Yeah. She's a, her name is Masha. She's from like a very wealthy family. She drives a Mercedes with her name on the license plate. And her fixation on, on the uh, Jerry Lewis character is like totally crazy. It's like, it seems like she's like the modern, she's like what now would be like Caroline Calloway or like somebody who's like, totally hopped up on speed and like has completely lost it gone bonkers yeah, yeah she's like made him this sweater there's a whole part of the kidnapping which like they house him in her family's apartment she and it's like this old world apartment with all these like frames and mirrors and like and candelabras like, yeah and she like makes jerry lewis try on this sweater there's this like whole long scene she, where like, she made him dinner and all that yeah. yes where she's like he looks fabulous he looks fabulous <laughs> she's so good in that <laughs> she movie. steals that movie out from under both of them yeah, it's so she's the wonderful star of that movie. without a doubt she's so great she's so funny and like it's awesome um her character is just it's just so great and it's so well performed and she's just so fucking funny. Yeah. I loved her. Yeah, totally. I mean, I loved her too. I feel like in taxi driver, I don't feel like the female characters are quite where that character is. I think, um, I mean, they're both really good performances, 
But I think that like Sybil Shepherd is sort of um, she's just basically this like stuck up sex object that can't, he can't get that he doesn't understand why she's and she sort of is the embodiment of the upper class and what he can never attain. And then Jodie Foster is um, this character. He, I think his feelings towards her are totally like paternalistic and his idea of um, what chivalry is, is actually abuse. And he's just like an extension like another abuser who ruins her life further. Well, I think that um, I think that it the the movie definitely demonstrates like toxic chivalry, and uh, I think that Sybil Shepherd is all of those things that you mentioned, and I think that um, the women are purposefully objects to the other men in the movie and to him like before he even comes into that office like he's across the street in the car but you have a whole scene like, she's a vision in white yeah but yeah. you have a whole scene with uh sybil shepherd and um uh oh, the guy yeah oh god what's his is. name i can't remember why can't i remember his name i don't know but he's like i'm in love with you like and she's just trying to do her job there's this thing of like she ca- she just like can't be left alone and i feel like in all these movies like women just like can never get left alone yeah somebody's always sniffing around well their movie is from the male point of view and like the way men view women is like something to be pursued and so the the women in the movies are being pursued yeah i just feel like these movies make an attempt to uh evaluate like how men relate to women in these contexts um that i think is very sophisticated i think that him being chivalrous like quote-unquote chivalrous like for jodie foster's character like yeah he should kill her pimp and like and men who men who like trade in the prostitution of children should die that's just like when you watch that movie i feel like you are supposed to feel like his actions are heroic, but they're not. I but mean, they're it's not. like she's and in the, he, she is and that scene curled up in a ball, screaming and crying and begging for him not to do it. And he does it anyway. I mean, she doesn't benefit from that. I think that she needs to be saved. And I mean, I understand having like a vengeful feeling for people who traffic in child prostitution, but what he does is heroic in his mind, but it's clearly not heroic in the world. It's violent. And his, the response that he gets of like becoming a hero is obviously not really happening. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think an argument could be made either way, like that it does literally happen or that it is a fragment, fragment of his imagination. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Like, but if it's real or if it's uh, like a projection of him, of like, as he's dying, it's still, asking you to think about him as a hero and to like but that's totally from his own point of view like there's no objective way that what he did is like heroic objectively i mean i feel like if you're not gonna take out like child traffickers like who else are you gonna take? i feel like that is kind of his first choice is to kill the politician for his own personal revenge right and when he can't do that he takes his energy his violent energy 
to somebody else that he thinks is doing something that's morally wrong and yes. in doing so re-traumatizes a victim a victimized child yeah i guess uh yeah i think um i feel like that's what's so like great and complex about that movie is that it's he is so deranged and you have been asked to like find empathy for him throughout the movie as he's like taken these turns and become like more detached, more violent and like more insane. Yeah. And you do. And you do. And, uh, at the same time, like, I mean, maybe that's maybe, maybe I'm the Joker, but it's, but it's like, yeah, these guys, like if that was Jeffrey Epstein, you would want him to be killed by Robert De Niro. Uh, yeah. So let's move to the performances. Yes. Which performance did you like the best of Robert De Niro's? Um, I, <laughs> I think maybe King of Comedy. Yeah. I think so too. I think King of Comedy is my favorite of the three of them. Yeah. Do you feel like you could see how he went from like one to the next to the third? Um, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, well, I feel like King of Comedy is a riff on Taxi Driver. They are they feel like companion pieces to me. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. I feel like that it, that's like first as tragedy, then as farce. Uh-huh. It feels like an, ex- I mean, character-wise, they feel like two sides of the same coin. They're both disenfranchised in in some way. They've both sort of been like, left behind by society and they have like focused their energies in this toxic destructive way that feeds into their own delusions of grandeur yeah I think totally what about um his performance in Joker well I think that his performance in Joker is a nostalgic riff on king of comedy and I think that I think that he was great in it. Like he's, you know, people are loving to rag on Robert De Niro of late because he's made so many bad movies recently. Robert De Niro is just like too old for people to be nice to him anymore. I know. It's like, you've been around for too long. You've done like, but I'm excited to see the Irishman. Yeah. I'm so excited. And I liked seeing him in this because I felt like he was uh, shitty in a way that, I haven't seen before. I thought Mark Maron was great. That was one part that I laughed at when it's like, um, when he's like, I killed those people. And the first thing you see is Mark Maron, like shaking his head in disgust. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, Mark Maron has like two lines in the movie. I know, but I love Mark Maron. Oh, I you love do? him as an actor now. Yes. Have you watched any glow? Yeah. He's great on glow. Yeah. Um, and it made uh, just like watching the two of them backstage made me watch the Larry Sa- made me want to watch Larry Sanders. Yeah, I love Robert De Niro like coming in backstage with like his little co- paper coffee cup, and he's like you know getting ready. Yes, and he's got like a full clown face, and he's like, "What is, what are you doing? What are you doing?" See, that's another thing too. Like, I okay, I don't want to like put my expectations on things or be like, if I were in charge, but I, I feel like there are some. Th- things that I want to like see like I would love to just like see a scene between Mark Maron and Robert De Niro that didn't 
that like well, wasn't Phoenix a boarding of the plot. But Joaquin Phoenix is in every single scene of this movie. Like yeah. it is just Joaquin Phoenix's movie. Right. Like he, it is about him. It is from his point of view. It is his story. And like you, there's no character. There are no scenes that are people talking about him that he's not there. The closest is like when he leaves and you see Batman, like baby Batman walk away with his <sighs> butler. And then when you see Batman's, mom and dad get killed in the street like that's it yeah like you and i think his performance honestly i think his performance was like incredible like the fucking dancing the weird body shit that he does when he's like after or before every time he kills someone he does this weird like these like tai chi kind of dances and he's like totally lost in his mind and it's like the ultimate euphoria because he's like so fucked up that like when he kills people he like loves it and has to like do a dance and I just like I loved it it's like when he's like because the Joker is like the most evil person and it's like when he does evil stuff he fucking dances because he's happy (laughs) like that's it yeah so when he says I've never had a moment of happiness in my entire life I was like I know you're lying because I had one yeah I've seen you dance for at least one minute I know and you look pretty happy you look very happy you look fucking (laughs) euphoric he's only happy when he kills people (laughs) that's the a garbage song I'm only happy when I kill people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I liked that Tai Chi dancing as well. And I thought that his physicality was really good. That also reminded me of the master a little bit. Yeah, me too. Because he was also so skinny in this. And he was like really using his rib cage a lot. Oh, my God. I mean, that scene when he's like fantasizing about like seducing a woman at a bar and she's like, you're a great dancer. And he's like, I know. And every time he dances, he just like puts his hands over his head. So weird. So weird. I liked it. That scene where he is sitting on the couch with his mother and the TV report comes on about the deranged clown who killed the three people on the subway. And he's like stretched all the way back on the couch, smoking that cigarette and acting so weird. Yeah. It's like, if that was my son, I'd be like, what did you do? But she's like, she's like out of it. I thought it was like a little plot heavy. He's your father. No, he's not. I felt like was like totally unnecessary. He fixates on this guy because he's rich and rich people have everything and poor people have nothing. And it's like economic disparity is what is driving him crazy. Instead of like, I didn't feel like it needed the additional like paternal question. Well, he had to do so many somersaults to try to prove this. Like, I am not political garbage. Well, I think that the I believe that the character isn't political. I don't think the movie is apolitical, but I think the character. I think that like um, a true like political hero. I mean, isn't that what you want for them to not even know what they're doing? He's a symbol. So like he doesn't he's not doing it because he's political he's like a deranged psychopath who's like the the product he's like the pure product of a political system that has like kept poor people in their place yes i think that that what you just said requires a lot of like clarity on the part of the creators and the i got movie. that from the movie i didn't i didn't get that from the cre- what i thought the creators thought that was like my takeaway from the just the movie i uh that's and i didn't feel that thematically so much so i just I, it's always they keep talking about how like 
there are no jobs and like the gap between the rich and the poor keeps growing and like the poor people are living in trash and they're covered with super rats and like people are starting to start I getting thought there typhoid. was going to be more with the super there rats. There was only one super rat. I know they really chatted up those super rats. I thought he was going to end up being like a Pied Piper or something. Oh my God. That would have been really cool. With like the rats dancing behind him in the city. Wouldn't that like, be cool? I know you only saw one rat. Only one super rat. Give and you only saw him jack off one time and it was just a little bit. I saw and so many they, more details this time. Oh Yeah. The his, J-O. The, the jack-off? Yeah, the rat. With his little flaccid dick. And his little I was surprised they didn't give him a whities. big boner. I'm surprised they didn't show him doing like more weird stuff to his body. I thought that there was a... Th- okay, even though in Taxi Driver, he takes her to see a porno. Yeah. Which is fucked up. But he doesn't know what's fucked up. He doesn't he's, know any he's better. He's innocent. And I was reading that Paul Schrader had insomnia, and that's what made him write this the script for Taxi Driver. And he would go to porno houses a lot because they were open 24 hours. And that's what Travis Bickle has insomnia. That's why he becomes a tra- taxi driver. Exactly. Because he figures he's up anyway. He might as well make, a, make money. He might as well make some money. Yeah. So he takes Sybil Shepard to the porn theater and but i feel like it always feels very innocent like that i mean it's it's also it, like a science porn movie it's like yes ovum, sperm and then it's like it's like a it's weird yeah i looked it up it was like an educational sex movie from denmark it was like sexual education in denmark i think is what it's called it sounds fun it sounds fun. Sounds like I mean I would see that on a date. Actually, I, if some if a guy took me to see sexual education in Denmark on a date, I would just like fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't you? It's kind of cool. I mean, at like a CD Times Square. Uh, if I didn't <laughs> live, okay, look. If I wasn't living in New York in 1981, if I was living in LA and they found a theater that was like that, that was showing that movie, I'd be like, you're cool. You are cool, and you deserve all this. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just never felt like he was a sexual threat to her. Uh, and in King of Comedy, if, do you remember he takes that girl home? It, it, she's his real wife. In, uh, it, it, she's Robert De Niro's Robert wife. De Niro's real wife is in Taxi Driver, too. Yeah. She plays the candy girl, the concession girl. At the porn at house. The porn theater. And in uh, King of Comedy, she is a bartender, and they oh, are yeah. like on again, off again. And he takes her to Jerry Lewis's house. There's that like really awkward sequence. He takes her to Jerry Lewis's house and. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And she doesn't know that she, that he wasn't invited because because this move that one. I, I, I didn't watch it again for this because I watched it like two months ago. But yeah. So he takes her to Jerry Lewis's house and he's like, yeah, we're going to go. We're his guests. And when she gets there, she realizes that he's crazy. And she's like, I don't know this guy. I'm so sorry. He told me that we were invited. And she like immediately gets out. It's horrible. And she's like, yeah, it's so uncomfortable. Uh, but after he's bringing her home for a date, uh, she invites him to come upstairs. She's like, do you want to come up for coffee or what? And he's like, no, no, you got to get your sleep. We're going to do this. And she's like, what do you want? And it's this whole like moment between the two of them. Cause like what he wants is to be like a famous comedian. He doesn't want to fuck her. He doesn't want to like be a husband. He, he wants her to be his queen, but it's like just to fulfill this fantasy. Yeah. That he has. That it's like necessary for him to have a queen. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And like, 
I feel in both movies, even though he is unstable and like he is fucked up and he's creepy and he's a murderer, um, <laughs> at least in one of them, like I don't feel like he's a sexual deviant. Like he's not going to like rape you in an alley. And in Joker, when he is following her in the streets, when they're like alone in the elevator together, it's there's scary. a real like tension there that is very unsettling. I, I thought that was interesting. I, I didn't feel like he was a sexual threat to her. I felt like he might kill her. I didn't feel like he would rape her. I feel like he like doesn't have, I feel like his sex drive and his drive to violence are the same. Um, like when he was when unsatiable. She, yeah. When he walks in, I mean, I think that like, if he feels like he wants to fuck you, he just murders you. <laughs> like oh, I see, when I she see. walks in and he's in the room and she's like, you got to get out of here. She's like, you, I really need you to go. I thought that was a really scary scene. I thought so too. And I was like, I, and I still, I'm not sure where the movie left it. Like what happened to them? Yeah, because uh, I feel like it's it cuts, it to, cuts him. to him like laughing in his room, and you see sirens in the background, and that's it. Yeah, it's like, and then you, don't you really never know. see you her. Never see her again. So it's like he could have killed her. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, I didn't even consider that. What um how what did you think of Robert De Niro's performance in Joker? I love it. I love, I love it, it. I think that it's like campy. Yeah, I think that Joker is campier. I think it's. I think Joker is camp. And to an extent. Yeah. And I think that Robert De Niro's entire character is fully camp. The scene where Robert De Niro is like, well, what you did was very bad. You can't kill people. And hey, what you're saying isn't funny. And you can't joke about that. And Joker's like, I can joke about whatever I want. First Amendment, bitch, or whatever. Like they say on Twitter. I feel like he was being very like Ozzy and Harriet. And like father knows best. I don't. I think he was intentionally like channeling that type of energy kind of as a joke yeah i thought so too and i appreciated it i loved it yeah i thought and it I was like great it was intentional i think so too there's like that that's what i mean i feel like there's a real kind of disrespect for what he's done the last few years and it's like, do you not understand that the person you're talking about is fucking robert de niro like do you think robert de niro is stupid do you think he's a bad actor like do you not understand that he's <laughs> fucking done movies before and he knows how to convey a feeling on screen and he's not making mistakes when he makes choices i was reading that uh when he was preparing for taxi driver he got his taxi license and he was driving yeah okay (laughs) i feel like that's like they all do shit like that now it's like a bridge too far yeah, it's like you still know that you can quit at any time. It's like you don't. I mean, okay, do it once or twice to get like a real sense of like how the cars work and what it's like to hear from those people and stuff. But yeah, give me a fucking break. Anytime you want to, you can walk away, and that's the difference. That so is there's the difference. no point. It's like if you want to really get into the role, fucking give your salary to a homeless person. Damn. Well, maybe he why don't some- you do it for fucking fifteen dollars an hour, and then you'll see what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> See, I shouldn't have seen the Joker twice. I went crazy. Now you're Joker crazy. Now I'm Joker crazy. And I'm like, oh, gosh, Taxi Driver is so empathetic. <laughs> J- taxi- He's the well, real Joker. Well, Taxi Driver is definitely a more empathetic movie than fucking Joker is. Yeah. I mean, like, Joker feels like a Joker. Like, it, it feels like a movie, like, in... It feels like a Batman movie. Totally. Well, yeah, I would actually say that... 
when they started talking about Wayne Enterprises or whatever, like it was maybe 40 minutes into the movie. And I was like, oh, there's been no real talk about any. It's, you're in Joker's town, baby. I'm in Joker. Yeah, I'm, I'm and in everything the zone. is twisted here. <laughs> We're all crazy here. The inmates are in the asylum. <laughs> Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum. <laughs> I love it. I love when Joaquin Phoenix like walks into Arkham Asylum. Joaquin Phoenix is so cute. He is really cute. All, also, the only thing I require for a movie is that I think the main character is hot. The only reason we like movies is because we're all perverts who want to see a tr- hot people suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think, basically like the only good, like that's what we want from a movie. That's what Saad taught me. That we just want to see hot people suffer. Yes. I mean, it depends on the day. I feel like that's what movies are. I... (laughs) I feel like it's a chance to really connect. (laughs) Yeah, but that's how you connect. Through seeing people suffer. Hot people. Am I a Juliet or a Justine? (laughs) You're a Joker. Put a third one in the mix. (laughs) You can be a Justine, you can be Juliet, or you can be a Joker. You're a Joker. Oh, I'm a fucking Joker. And Joaquin is a Ju- is a just is a Justine. Justine for sure. And this Joker is ju- Justine. And what about um, Travis Pickle? Justine. You know, when I did male drag, my name was Travis Pickles. That's a good drag name. Thanks. He was like a dick. Yeah, yeah. And I was like a sleazy little teenage boy. That's cute. Thanks. And I was thinking if I did. King of comedy drag my name would be um rude perv hold on let me think uh rude perv bumpkin because his, his name is rupert, is R- rupert pumpkin. pumpkin pumpkin my name would be jerkin four dicks joaquin <laughs> phoenix <laughs> jerkin four dicks <laughs> No, wanking Fordex. Like wanking Fordex. Joaquin. Got it. Walking, wanking Fordex. Wanking Fordex. Yeah. Um, which, um, God, okay. Robert De Niro, 1976. What, if you were a young clerk working for a politician you and can get it. Whatever in you that want. office. I quit. I'm sorry, Senator Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to find another Bernie bro to replace me. I'm fucking this cab driver. And I'm, I quit and I'm Mrs. Cab Driver and I am a like professional pauper. And I'm like, oh my God, my husband is a psychopath. But I don't care because I love him because it's Robert De Niro in the 70s. I feel like it's the dark side of Patterson. Did you ever see that movie Patterson with Adam Driver? No. It's uh, Adam Driver is a bus driver in a city called Patterson. His name is Patterson and he's based on a real man, but he drives the bus a day by day. He's a poet. And then he just loves his wife. That sounds way worse than Joker. It is so good. Really? That's like a great hangover movie. If you're like feeling his ill. His name is Patterson and he lives in Patterson and he's a poet who loves his wife. Yeah. No. That's not porn to you? No. 
He just like sees the beauty in the world and he just like loves his wife's arts art projects. Is that what the movie's about? Yeah. It's just like a slow ass movie about like the city and the people in it and just like What's the city of Patterson like? You know, there's a bus that drives through it and people who come on the bus and people who leave the bus and a man who writes poems who drives it. And are his poems about the people? Yeah, how he feels. How does he feel? Peaceful. What happens in the movie? Nothing. It's a beautiful movie. It itself is like a poem. (laughs) (laughs) The only poetry I'm interested in is written in blood. (laughs) Poet name, colon, joker. (laughs) The K is backwards. (laughs) <laughs> the a has a fucking pen, upside down pentagram in it i mean the o j-o perfect pentagram. so it's like anarchy backwards but upside K, down e backwards r r and he's my favorite poet and his poem is all about who's gonna fucking kill me and i love it um are you sad that i i didn't love it th- as much as you No, I kind of like that nobody loves it because it makes me feel like more of an incel because I do love it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the scene towards the end when he gets on the cop car and all the people in the clown masks were like, yeah, I thought that was insane because he but that's what the Joker does. He inspires fall. He gets a lot of followers. He's like a shit poster. (laughs) He is a shit poster, but he fucking kills everybody. It's um, I mean, like. Heath Ledger's Joker had a bunch of guys that work for him. It's like, how does the Joker go from being like a psycho guy to having a bunch of people who will like, cause the Joker is like a criminal mastermind and he has like a huge army. He's like a mob boss in terms of like how many people like do his bidding. That's why he can get away with anything. Did you think that this movie set up this character as a huge mastermind mob boss I thought that it set him up as a person who would do whatever he said. And I was like, cause that's a question that needs to be answered. Like all of like the people who pull him out at the end and they were all like, he, they're like, he's like the face of their movement. Like the, those are people who are like inspired by him. Yeah. And I think that that's an important part of the Joker. Like that he has people who will do what he says. The crazy, my favorite one and the craziest one. Did you see suicide squad? No. Irene, yeah. I'm not kidding you. I saw it three times in the theaters. What? Did you see that Birds of, Tra- Birds of Prey trailer? Yeah. But Suicide Squad <laughs> is like Twilight 2.0. Suicide Squad is in terms of like movies that you just have to see because they're so crazy. Okay. 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 It okay. is. I do trust you when it comes to this. Suicide Squad is like the, that is, I'm not kidding you. It is the worst movie that I have ever seen in my life. And you saw it three times. I, yes. And it's so bad and it's so boring. It's like, I saw it three times and every time was fucking torture. And then I was like, I need to see this again. Why did you do that? You know what? There's movies that I... It's amazing. Okay, so in it, Jared Leto, who I already have complicated feelings about... Yes. uh, Plays Joker. The Joker. And his version of the Joker is like a weird... um, He's like... um, He seems like a like a dark DJ from hell uh-huh. and he's got like face tattoos 
he's he's kind of like a Harmony Korine character, like in uh, like he's like in the new ones, like the ones that are in Florida, <laughs> like Beach Bum. What was the one before that? Spring Breakers. He's like the Spring Breakers guy. And Riff Raff. He's like Riff Raff. And there are a couple of times where they show the world from his point of view. And when they do, everybody is wearing a clown mask and screaming. Really? <laughs> but he's also like a huge crime boss who like has all of these people who will do whatever he says. Because that's the problem with Joker. He's crazy, but he's also a crime boss. So like, how do you square those things? How do you square those things? That's the big question. Well, I thought this movie did it. I thought it explained how a guy could be crazy and have like minions at the same time. Yeah. I feel like the way that this was set up, I could see somebody coming in later and being like, we're going to take your image. We're going to take your catchphrases and uh, you're the figurehead. I could see him transforming into like the Heath Ledger Joker. To me, they felt so different. He's more of a baby. Can I tell you that the Heath Ledger Joker feels a little bit more realistic to me? Yeah. I also hate that. I hate the Heath Ledger Joker. I like the Heath Ledger Joker. I, think I was looking at pictures of him earlier today and I was like, wow, he was so he such was a little so tasty little cute. treat. No, you're right. He was good in that movie. He was so good. I just couldn't. That's why. That why so movie? serious? Why Aggie. so serious? And then like, oh my god, that that movie takes itself fucking seriously. Yeah, when they have it does. The, it's crazy. The fucking boat shit at the end. Yeah. Like when I saw that movie, I was like, all right, fine, okay, whatever. Joker, fine. Batman, okay, great. When they got to the and then I was like, this movie's over now. And then Heath Ledger is like, guess what? I made up this riddle. And that's like a morality fucking question. That's like you're getting your fucking law degree and you're going to have to like sit about like which is the right answer morally. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck this stupid fucking movie. Just shoot Robert De Niro in the head and like fucking have a big cartoon rat and call it a day. Joker. <laughs> I guess I guess that's where we are culturally like just like cut, cut to the chase. Um like, I also let's just, just get there. Well, I think that uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean <laughs> I just think it was less pretentious. You didn't think that was a pretentious move at the end of the the other Joker movie? Oh, I think it's so pretentious, but I also think that this is as well. Oh, you thought this movie was pretentious? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't think it was pretentious at all. I thought it was, I didn't think it was pretentious. I, I felt like a lot of it, a lot of it to me felt very contrived and um, also like Oscar baity. It felt, it, it feels like a construction of parts more than like, Again, like I'm, I I feel like watching this movie after the movies that we watched this past week. Like they're just so good. They're just like so excellent on so many levels, and I wish that I didn't have. Uh, I wish I wasn't comparing them or thinking about them on. Well, we've been asked to. And it's like, okay. Yes, we have been asked to. We have been. And if that's the case, then I ha I just like have to think about it. Yeah. It's like, did you see that tweet of James Gunn being like, 
I've looked up to Martin Scorsese my whole life and I hate it. Was that with the Marvel thing? Yes. I he, love that so much. It's so funny. I love he when was, people got mad. People got people so like mad. acting like he was wrong. Yeah. And, and one like, person, did you see one person was like, everybody. you're all in a cash grab. Just like have some dignity about it. But did you see one person tweeted like, Martin Scorsese seems awfully jealous to me. I saw that. <laughs> Like, yeah, oh my God, you're fucking yeah. idiot. Yeah, he's very jealous. He's like really he pouting. He made Ant-Man. Yeah, that's... <laughs> oh my God. But James Gunn compared his films to The Last Temptation of Christ. Perfect. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? If you're going to make a movie in your mind, that's what it has to be. Like, good for you. I'm proud and happy for him. That's the thing. And it's like, and then these guys turn around and they make a movie about a Joker and they'll be like, nobody listens to me. And it's like, shut up. People have been listening to you your whole lives. People have been listening to men like this for 5,000 years. I'm so sorry that the perspective of a person who doesn't look like you threatens you so much that you have to put out something so nihilistic and just be like, well... Well, nobody listened to him. Look what he did. Well, but I just don't think that. I mean, I understand that point of view. And I understand that if you're looking at this from the perspective of like these film Twitter people and the creators of the film and you're seeing it as like a mouthpiece for them, then I find it incredibly frustrating. If you're looking at it as a piece that's like objectively looking and like kind of demonizing, but also analyzing the real white angry men who are terrorists currently part of like terrorist cells in the United States of America unchecked and have been doing it since the nineties and no one has given a fuck about it and saying like, what is the psyche of these people? Then I like the movie. Should we talk about the other movies that we're watching during our series? Yeah. Do we have any unfinished business in terms of taxi driver? I feel like we talked so much about Joker and not enough about anything else. Yeah, I know. I feel the same. But it's like, I can't stop talking about it. I know. Well, okay. How does it feel to watch the king of comedy knowing so many people who pursue comedy? There were times that I, here's what I mean. I thought that Robert De Niro's performance was so real and honest and true and very unsettling. Also very campy and broad. Yes. But just like so totally perfect i thought he is i think he's like phenomenal in this movie king of comedy uh 1982 robert scorsese robert scorsese martin scorsese robert and martin together that's the these are the men um he gave me a panic attack because it felt so real it felt so real there's times where he's just like it just like made me so deeply uncomfortable (laughs) Um, it was, yeah, I felt that way about showgirls, <laughs> like the same exact way as a person who hosts an open mic. I mean, these people are not, well, people who do comedy are fucking crazy, like the most insane people you could ever imagine. And their lives are always horrible. And they are the, they are all criminals. And we say that as people who were in Chicago, I was there for 11 years doing comedy and um, something that I've devoted a big portion of my life to. So, <laughs> yeah, can say for sure I'm not well. Um, well, we both did. That's how we met. I did comedy in Chicago, too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I definitely don't. I feel like, and I still do it, and I still host an open mic, and I, you know, it's a, it's fucked up out there. It's a dark ass world. It's a dark ass world. Um, yeah, I felt like they were both very true. I felt like the Joker's joke book is like something that I have seen. I have seen that book. That was like all the scribbles and like the magazine cutouts and just like a bunch of weird shit. I mean, I've never seen like someone open it and have like porn cut out and taped into it, but I wouldn't be surprised if I did. And like, yeah, the scribbles and the like weird. And it's like, I don't know what, like where this guy came from or like, what is this guy's problem? I've definitely seen guys that open mics screaming like, no jokes and just like have having these bits like oh you want to go on a diet well here's a diet poverty that's why I'm so fucking skinny and like those are their jokes like there are guys like this <laughs> at Mike's <laughs> that are just like threatening everybody and really scary how crazy do you think that Robert De Niro was in the king of comedy his character a thousand he was delusional do you think that I think so too, but that last bit, um, when, uh, so he kidnaps Jerry Lewis and then he gets to like be on the show. That's like the conditions of the kidnapping. He'll release Jerry Lewis so if he can be on the show. Yeah. So they let him like do his set and then and his he, set. Yeah. He it's goes like to the bar. Mediocre. Yes. Yes. He goes to the bar where the woman is that he, like embarrassed at Jerry Lewis's house and he puts on the TV and he like stands there and has everybody in the bar watch him do his set, which is like, Oh my God, it's so good. It's like devastating and embarrassing and funny and fucked up and so great. But then the, the, uh, it cuts just to the set and it's like a five minute scene, no cuts of Robert De Niro delivering his type five. And it's, I thought he did incredible. Oh, see, yeah, that's what I meant when I said perfectly mediocre. Like yes, I think yes, that yes. his I think that his stand-up set is amazing in it because it's not like brilliant stand-up comedy and it's not terrible stand-up comedy. No. It's like good, which is like the most crazy thing it could possibly be. Yeah. You know what I mean where you're like this guy is either a genius or he's psychotic and the fact is he's fine. And that's that is uh that totally squares with like real comics yeah and I think that that's why it's like so well written and so well directed and so well performed and like one of his best I think it's like just a brilliant performance from him I think so too I think it's incredible I think it's, it's incredibly incredible. well written yes I think that the the last the stand-up set is like one of the greatest parts of it I think so too um it made me did you see Vox Lux I wanted to see it so bad, but I didn't see it. <laughs> I watched it on an airplane. Weird place to see it. Uh, so the movie, it takes place. There's like two halves. Um, there's uh, the story of this like young woman who goes through a traumatic event, writes a song about it and becomes a pop star. And then you fa flash forward like 15 years to present day. And that girl has grown up to be Natalie Portman. And then you have this really long scene with her and her daughter and and then the last like 10 minutes of the movie is a performance that she gives like just like a stage show it's and it's not great 
Like I thought the That's movie what I was heard fine. About her. That's what I heard about it. But it's like she's not a Natalie Portman is not a pop star. And it didn't feel intentional. It felt like she like they fucked up. It felt like it it felt like they couldn't pull it off. Like Natalie Portman couldn't pull it off? I didn't think so, no. And I thought that the budget was too small for what they were trying to accomplish. And then the performances weren't there. Like, everything was kind of at 50%. And I was liking the movie up to that point. But if you saw them, like, really... If if she was, like... If she destroyed that, that would have been such a different thing. But... I thought that Robert De Niro destroyed that stand-up set is no, what I'm saying. I, I don't think that there was anything unintentional about it. I think that like in the writing of the movie, they decided that the character would be good at stand-up. Like they didn't decide that he would be great at stand-up. And there were times where the, where it kind of felt like it got off the rails. It felt exactly right for where someone like that would be in their career. Yeah. Like there were times where he sort of what didn't, wasn't like as adept to being in front of an audience as a seasoned comic who had really good material. And it sort of felt like, wait, this is going into crazy town, which is where comedy goes because the biggest threat to doing stand up comedy is like, well, not the biggest, but a big one is like, especially for like these mics or you, you get too real and it seems creepy. Like that's where it all, that's the problem that I see in like open mics all the time. Yeah. And he was like right on the edge of that. Yeah. And I, I, I think that he, he, uh, as an actor and as a performer performing that, uh, that piece that was so like perfectly well-written for that character, like it, it all was exactly what it needed to be. And I thought I just thought that he nailed it. And, and I don't was think like an that per- every person, not every actor could do like a five minute stand up set without cuts that like wide that like he just I thought he was just incredible. Yeah, he's great. He's so good. Yeah, he's so good. Um, um And he. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. Um. What did you think of Harvey Keitel in Taxi Driver? I um, I kind of almost think Harvey Keitel is better in Taxi Driver than Robert De Niro is. Like, really? I think that he's so good in that scene. And talk about vulnerability. Like, you see vulnerability in him, and he is the least... He is a disgusting character who's in, I think, two scenes in that movie... And he has so little to do. He's got, he's just a pimp, but you see, well, there's that seduction scene with Jodie Foster where they're alone in the room together. And he's like telling her how important she is to him. Oh that, yeah. Like, romant- oh, it's like made to be romantic. Like the lights are low. They're in a room. There's music playing. And then there's the scene where Robert De Niro goes to him. Yeah. And then there's the scene where, where he, he kills, kills him. him. Yeah. Oh, Did you yeah. ever see The Searchers? Uh, no. It's with John Wayne and uh, Natalie oh, yeah. Wood. And I think what it was very inspirational to Paul Schrader when he was writing this. But thematically, it's very similar. It's like um, he, uh, John Wayne is a veteran and 
he has been like driven crazy by circumstances and Natalie Wood has been kidnapped by Native Americans and he goes to rescue her. Yeah. And he's he's an anti-hero. He's like he's in the wrong. He's fucked up. And it's that it's it exists in like a similar ethical space where you sort like you sort of understand his perspective or where he's coming from, but um, you don't like him like he's wrong, which is so is it a John Ford movie. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, yeah, I think I must have seen this. Yeah, it's one of those very dark Westerns. Um, and it makes you think of Harvey Keitel's performance in it. Well, I think this and Taxi Driver are very um, similar. Like, they're, um, Paul Schrader was uh, referencing the searchers with this. And I guess Harvey Keitel, as a character, has some nods to the Native American chief who's holding Natalie Wood hostage. I think he, like, has feathers. There's... There's some like stylistic choices that are made uh, so that they ref like the two movies reference each other. Well, yeah, I think that his performance is like um, just so I feel like you just feel his desperation on like a human level that what he's doing is so disgusting. But you see him as a person and not as a just a villain. Yeah, I guess so. I um I mean, I just, I truly think that pimps are the scum of the earth. Okay, so Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, and Joker. This was a trio of misanthropes. Yeah, this was Robert De Niro as a loser, and Robert De Niro as a loser, and Robert De Niro as a winner. As a winner, as the fantasy projection of Rupert Pupkin from The King of Comedy. Correct. We got to see him grow old and grow into and die and and die yeah. that's right at the hands of another loser that's yeah, the cycle that's of how life. he goes the circle of life well yeah that's what happens when you have sons oh my god what do you think happened to jerry lewis in this world like in, within the world of the king of comedy like what where is jerry lewis five years from the end of king of comedy I mean, I think that he's like wherever Jay Leno is now at home with his cars. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he has never been more famous. Um, and yeah. I think that he writes a biography about the events of his kidnapping. And I think that he like does speaking engagements and is like semi-retired. Yeah, I think that he's like completely shallow and which is how how I see Jay Leno as well <laughs> um, as like the most heartless of the late night hosts, except for James Corden. And um, I think that he is like on their level. Like, I don't think he gives a shit about the show. And I think he's not really a comedian. He's like a charmer and a professional host. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that he really follows comedy. Like, I don't think he falls into. I don't think that he I don't think he has an artistic drive. I think he's just like wants to be or if he ever did, it's gone. And yeah. now he just cares about comfort and money. 
I think that you're right. Do you remember after he escapes from Sandra Bernhard and he um, he ends up in front of a television store and they're showing his show and yeah. De Niro's doing he's like watching De Niro do his set yeah. on the show. And it's this like pretty like his expression is pretty oblique, but he like he's standing there watching kind of for an extended period of time. What did you take out of that? Like, how did you interpret that? The scene where he watches... I saw this movie two months ago. I'm just trying to think of it. So it's the scene where he watches uh, Robert De Niro on his show. I think he felt jealous. I think he felt like a... I've said this word three times on a podcast, but I think he felt like a paternal rage. Like... um, you know, there must be some reverse to the Oedipal wanting to kill your father and sleep with your mother. Like wanting sh- to kill your son. There must be a, yeah, there must be a perspective that the father has there. Um, and when you see your child succeeding, I mean, I think a lot of parents see their children succeeding and want to destroy them. Like, I think that that must be the reverse of like whatever an Oedipal complex is. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that was what he was. He was seeing himself replaced and that that's where it comes from. So it leaves like that devastation that a father has seeing his son succeed. That's cool. I didn't um, I didn't I guess I didn't think of the father son aspect of that. Uh, I was I feel like my thought was so uh, more like immediate of like this is what it was for like i went through this traumatic thing and it was for this it's for nothing it's like for what for this for this thing that i take for granted that i do every night this he wanted to do this so bad i was terrorized for the last 12 hours yeah i think that there was that too because he is in he is in this privileged position to see it as being unimportant um which it is sort of like cosmically and it also is from the perspective of those who are privileged but for people who don't who aren't that's the ultimate it's like that's like the unattainable thing and what we know is that like once you every time you reach something that you want you realize it was nothing like it always there's always something else what you get used to it and you realize that that you want more you want more and and what you what you desired and thought you were not good enough to have becomes like commonplace for you yeah you don't value it the way that you used to that's how i feel whenever i like reach like six months after reaching any goal that's sort of where i am you're like okay i did that but what's next yeah because it doesn't feel you did it yeah, and I don't think that that Jerry Lewis character, you know, he's not walking the street and seeing himself like on TV screens or maybe he is. But you, there's all those scenes of him walking through the city and people talking to him, people smiling at him. And it just it made me think about like that level of fame and how uh that's something that happens in Vox Lux too actually. She like walks on the street and she's extremely famous and it's like just negotiating public spaces is very difficult but you feel like he wants he wants that he wants people he wants to be wanted he wants to be appreciated he wants people to smile and say hi to him jerry lewis yeah but it's like you want to have control over how people respond to you and these are two people 
who are completely out of control and you don't have any control of how people see you or what they think about you or any it's I I thought that aspect of it was interesting too yeah I feel like um Jerry Lewis appreciates the fame that he has I don't know in the movie in the movie in real life I hate Jerry Lewis deeply well he has passed away now I'm glad did I ever I tell you that I saw up. him when but I was a kid? Every man who ever said that women aren't as funny as men, I hate them all. All of them. I hate Christopher Hitchens. I hate Jerry Lewis. I just, I fucking hate these people. They're, they just have done <laughs> nothing but make my life worse. How could you be that close to Sandra Bernhardt and actually think that? Like, she's so much funnier than you. All he, all he ever did was cross his eyes and hang out with rapists. I assume. Okay, well, what a great, what a great week of movies. It was very inspiring to me to watch both Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. Yeah, I kind of wish that I had rewatched King of Comedy, but I didn't. I just, uh, it really like felt, like filled me with the possibilities of the art form. And I think that... um, There's something about like uh, visibility and disenfranchisement that both of these movies address in such an interesting way. But these are movies about men. And this is why you need like diversity in storytellers and like producers and gatekeepers and things like this. Like the level of humanity that both of these movies demonstrate is so beautiful and so admirable and I love to watch it and it also makes me so disheartened and sad about how we demand and insist to have likable female characters. I I just feel like and Sandra Bernhardt is like the least likable character. She is, but she's and so she's, wonderful. Well, I mean, uh, she's like, I mean, the same way that Robert De Niro is unlikable. I mean, like all of these characters are like disgusting people, but they're great. But they're you empathize with you them empathize with them and you because they're hot. Y- yes, and you you empathize with them. But you also like see their crimes for what they are, and because you are allowed to see them as a full three dimensional person, you you empathize with their story, but you're disgusted by their actions. And I think that that is like such an integral like conversation and headspace to have with these movies. Like you're being treated. Uh, you're being treated like an intelligent person by the people who are making these movies. They're asking you to hold a couple different ideas in your head at the same time that you can have a soft spot for these guys, but also be repulsed by them. And I think things are so binary in that way. And um, especially for women, like I just wanted, because the Sandra Bernhard part, like, Ultimately, the punchline of her character is that Jerry Lewis punches her in the face and she runs naked down the street after him screaming his name. And like, I think that that's fine for the time. And her part is so great up until that point. But I think that if we were making that movie now, if a woman was making that movie, the that wouldn't be the, the those wouldn't be the last images that you're left with for that woman or that character. Because Robert De Niro isn't treated that way. No, I just want to see 
I want to see this kind of treatment, the taxi driver king of comedy treatment for complicated women. And I think that like we are conditioned to expect so much and to find so much nuance and compassion for these characters and women deserve it too. And it just like makes me really crave those kinds of stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good point, Irene. There should be, um, hopefully birds of prey. will scratch that itch for you, <sighs> but I'm not sure that it will. Um, yeah, I just like wish it was, not from any existing IP. Um, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, Taxi Driver is an IP. Comedy is an IP. These are like, it's like a, fu- like, let's tell a fucked up story about a taxi driver. Okay. Let's tell a fucked up story about a job that mostly women do. Like hustlers. Like hustlers. You know what? If Martin Scorsese made hustlers. He passed on it. Well, that makes sense. But a woman should have told that story, and she did. But let's say Lynn Ramsey. If Lynn Ramsey was making Hustlers, I feel like they never would have been arrested. Um, but you have to have women be punished. Oh, so you mean like if it was a man, if it was from the point of view of men? Well, no, I mean like if it was from the, a similar sensibility in that well, like you can have these men like reach their point of triumph and then like that is enough of a story. That's interesting because I thought that the women and hustlers got off lighter than the movie, than like their male counterparts in male anti-hero movies. Like at the end of Goodfellas, everybody's either dead or in jail or he's in the witness protection program in like a existential crisis. Um, I feel like they get pun. I feel like all of the anti-heroes usually get punished pretty bad. Well, in Taxi Driver, if you believe that the movie is like, if the ending can be taken literally and he lives, then he gets to see himself be a hero. Yeah. If he dies, then he dies in like a moment of righteousness and he fantasizes about himself being a hero either way. Like he, he dies in peace. So that's that yeah. what he, he wants to die anyway. So like, what's the big deal? And in King of Comedy, he gets what he wants. He gets to be a king for a night instead of a schmuck for a lifetime. That's right. That's his catchphrase. That's his fucking catchphrase. And it's so good. Yeah. So they both like, even if it's not, I mean, you know, we don't want to end up in jail, but we also, but like that is, he weighed his options and he decided that's okay. So ultimately for him personally, I think that's a happy ending. It was a personal choice. It was his personal choice. He yeah. knew what he was getting himself into. That was what he wanted. Yeah, and he it got it. It was worth it. It was, for, at the end of the day, it was worth it. Yeah. Joker. Joker becomes, well, he goes to the end. That's the beginning of his story. Well, he becomes the Joker. It's like he's, his life is better now because he is. He gets an art, he gets to be someone's arch nemesis. I want them his to. His brother. Make, I want them to turn this into like the new Batman franchise. The Jokers? Yeah. Well, like, and I want the next one to be like in 20 years. And then that's Robert Pattinson. <gasps> Is he going to be the he's Joker? Ba- he's Batman. He's going to be the Batman. Wow. The good for one. him. I know, I'm so proud of him. I love him. I know. I love him too. Did you see High Life? Not yet. Oh, I can't wait. 
<laughs> to hear you talk about High Life. I can't wait to see it. You know I love him. We should do a series on her movies. Oh, I thought you were going to say his movies. I mean, that would be good, too. He makes good choices. So does she. I want to see it. Um. Okay. And he's got another one, too, coming out. Oh, The Lighthouse. Yes. With Willem Dafoe. Right. Which I was like, oh, I guess I want to see this. I don't know. It's like two guys going crazy in a lighthouse. But then I heard <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. It looks awesome to me. It's by the guy who did The Vitch. Which I fucking love. I loved it, too. Um, I love these like old actors from the seventies. Like, like your heart, your Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel can do no wrong in my book. He's such a good actor. He's That's why so I good. meant that I thought that he brought humanity to it, not because I thought that I pimps. like pimps. But no, because I didn't I'm, think that. Jesus. But because I just thought that he did. He's such a good actor that, of course, every actor has to. It's like they say in uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, nobody thinks that they're a bad person. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Keitel, I think, is without a doubt one of the one of the best actors that we have. I love him. I love him, too. And he really. Did you ever see The Piano? Of course. I love that movie and I love him in that movie. I love Bad Lieutenant. I love Reservoir Dogs. When you think about the movies that he's made, like he's just been, I feel like he's punk rock and he has been for so long and he cares about independent filmmakers and he'll give people a chance and he does wild and crazy stuff and he doesn't give a fuck. Can I be, can I lean And he's in. still hot. He's still hot. They're all still oh hot to me. I'm God. a crazy old bitch, but <laughs> they're all, I like them all. Kill me. <laughs> I mean, I still like Al Pacino is hot to me. Ew, now. And he's he had looks, too much work he done. He looks like my grandma. <laughs> like he's, he and my grandma have been looking alike for 20 years and my grandma's dead now, but Harvey still. Keitel could a thousand percent get it. No problem. No questions asked. No questions all of them. asked. Um, but like Not basically them, any but famous person. I'll t- <laughs> I mean, I'll go da- I'll go real low down the run. Don't worry about it. Like I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I'll take it. If you like basically have an Tom Sizemore, page, sign me up and I don't give a fuck. Um, but uh, Billy Baldwin. Uh, a Baldwin. I think I'll draw the line at a Baldwin. All right. We all <laughs> I love when a line is drawn. Um, should we talk about the rest of our Robert De Niro series? Yes. Okay. So this was our very first episode our of first Robert episode De Niro. Of Bobby D. And uh, next week we are going to uh, bookend the 1990s for Robert De Niro with Goodfellas and analyze this. Yeah. Um, we're calling that episode in like a lion out like a lamb. Yes. The story of the gangster in the nineties uh-huh. as portrayed by Robert De Niro. We're not calling it all of that. We're going to call it a few uh, parts of that. Yes. Or maybe none of it at all. We'll see. We'll, you'll see. <laughs> well, I, I will see. Um, not you, the listener. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so that's our first episode and we actually recorded that a few weeks ago. So you'll, uh, hear us talk about, our personal relationship to Robert De Niro, which I know you're really anxious for. And then we're talking about two movies from 1995. Casino and Heat came out the same year. Two really extraordinary movies. What are their similarities? What are their differences? How is Robert De Niro in each of them? Turns out he's great in both of them. Yeah, it turns out Robert De Niro was a good actor. What I've learned through the course of this series is that Robert De Niro is a great actor. 
he's like better than I thought he was. I have to agree. It's um, been really wonderful. Okay, and then this one has been fun. It has been. It's been way more fun than the porno one. Yes, the yeah. erotica one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did learn a lot. I learned more in that one than this one for sure. And then I also feel like I'm an expert on those books now. I feel more like an expert from that one than I do from this one. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So next week we got Goodfellas. Analyze this. Then we got the following week, Heat and Casino. And then we've got uh, the f- one of the first movies and one of the last movies, Hi Mom and Dirty Grandpa. Yeah. And you've probably never even heard of Hi, Hi Mom. Mom. Maybe you have. And then we're going to watch Mean Streets and The Irishman. I can't wait to compare those two with puppies. <laughs> I know. We're watching a lot of um, Martin Scorsese films. Well, I mean, he's been in a lot of them. And he's got a lot of movies coming out. Because The Irishman and this one that we saw today were both new. Yeah, it's really... I think We're going to be bookending this series with um, his films. And it's so cool that he's, you know, still working. And uh, Harvey Keitel is also in The Irishman. So is Joe Pesci. The gang's back together. The whole gang's to back together. Tell the tale of an Irish man. And Al Pacino is also in it with all it's of his Jimmy fillers. Hoppe. Yeah. I'm going to get fillers too. I'll be just like him. You're going to be beautiful. You're, you're beautiful right now. Well, we'll see. Once I get those fillers though, that'll be a different story. Anything else? I think that's it. Okay, guys. Will you please subscribe? Subscribe, review. Rate uh, us five stars if you dare. Rate us five stars. Follow us on Instagram. Engage with us. Send us a message. Do whatever you want. We want to hear it. the expert 69 on all your social media needs. So we will see you next week with a brand new episode about our brand new topic, our husband. Our boyfriend and our lover. Robert De Niro. Bye. Bye. Trust the expert to live.